This is the John Oakley Show podcast. If this is Thursday and it's the bottom of hour two, it's time for the sound and the fury. That is our panel with Anthony Fury, Sun Paper's national columnist, and Peter Tabbins, the MPP for Toronto Danforth, the NDP's critic for energy and the climate crisis. Gentlemen, how are you? Hello, hello. Good to see you. Good to have you on board. By the way, I've got to start by asking about something that, by the, it happened on the Danforth. There was a yeah. shooting. Yeah. You know, at Greenwood. That's still your... Uh, oh, yeah. No, it's, de- it's just a few blocks over from me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then we had the Airbnb, triple the homicide, suicide yeah. thing, and a car was shot up in the East End at Cedar Break Collegiate That's yesterday. Right. And so uh, this goes on unabated. And I'm just wondering now, are we accepting these shootings as the new normal, uh, or what's going on? Uh, do we blame feckless politicians and policies for all of this, Peter? Well, I don't think anyone's accepting it as the new normal. I know that my constituents, and I'm sure this is the case across Ontario, people get very upset uh, when there's a shooting in their neighborhood, and they have every right to be upset. John, as you know, the approach I take on this, I've been very upset with this government, the Ford government, cutting back on programs that you need to divert people from life of crime. They have undermined programs to keep kids at risk out of after-school programs. They haven't been putting, making the investment in youth employment that we need. Uh, so, yeah, you can blame feckless politicians for not dealing with the roots of these problems. And as long as we don't deal with the roots of the problems, we're going to have this kind of violence. Is it a root cause thing? Because, I mean, Ford's been in office for about uh, 19 months now. So uh, all of this is a manifestation of his making so-called cuts then, Anthony? Everyone was doing well at playing after-school chess, and then Doug got in, and and all hell broke loose. Look, I, I grew up in the mean streets of Tavinstown in that very area, Danforth <laughs> and Greenwood. You know, no, I used to walk the streets, and I'd get carted around Danforth. And I'm not joking. Uh, and, you know, it's it's a real shame to see, you know, this. I haven't been to this establishment. I've been to the Lindsmore Tavern and other places nearby. And I mean, Peter's right that everyone in the neighborhood is not accepting it as the new normal, but it sort of kind of is. I mean, in East York and, and the beaches and upper beaches, there's there's been a whole bunch of shootings in, in these intersections. You're not used to seeing it in these establishments. What's going on? And I, I think ultimately... People are making choices. They're making life choices to conduct themselves this way. And and these are bigger societal decay issues. Sure, maybe, you know, 18 years ago there wasn't some programming place, I don't know, or someone's daddy hit them too much 18 years ago. I don't know if we can go back and find that. I'm certainly not going back 19 months to, to say Doug Ford's the guy who was hitting them or taking away their programs. But I think one thing we have seen in the past 18 years, 20 years, and I'm going to sound like an old man saying this, is is we're expecting so less of people. We've lowered the bar on so much. The barrier to entry for adulthood, for being a responsible citizen, uh, isn't there. And and uh, I think that's the problem. Me talking with teachers, talking with authority figures, police over the years, we've seen an erosion of all of this. I just want to go back to, to your comment, though, John, because it's an important point. It isn't as though we had paradise under the liberals. I mean, I I was engaged in questioning them and criticizing them when they cut back on these programs as well. They did not do a good job. Ford's doing a worse job, but the liberals have no claim to being really good on this issue. And when you look at any society around the world where you have young people who don't see a way forward, who go through very difficult situations, who are locked out of the economy, then you get the growth of that underground economy, people making money dealing drugs. Well, hang on just a second. Let me just stop you there when you say locked out of the economy. And yet uh, we're told that this government 
uh, wants to have more skilled labor imported into the country because there are employers begging. I had a coffee shop in my own neighborhood shut down. They can't even find baristas now. There are jobs aplenty if people are so inclined and have enough ambition to fill them. So why do these guys need to take up the gun? I would say that you should look back over the last 20 or 30 years and people who have been discouraged from getting employment or feel that... Well, well, we're not talking about 20, 30 years. Yeah, but... Frankly, you aren't getting 10-year-olds running around with guns. You're you're looking at people and they're... They're not far removed from that. You know that? Well, they may not be, but they're not 10 years old from any descriptions I've had of people so who are So you're telling me that somebody uh, who's 18, 19, 20 years of age can't find gainful employment? It may well be that there are people who have been growing up in a milieu where they didn't see any future for them and they saw the opportunity to make money getting involved in crime. You have to get to kids early. You have to make sure they have a sense that they have a place in society and an opportunity to grow and improve themselves. I think that's well, the I'm reality. saying that exists. Uh, you're denying that that exists. Anthony? Hey, you know, I read this great book a free, few years ago. Jason L. Riley, he's a columnist and editorial director at the Wall Street Journal. For what it's worth, he's a black gentleman and has a, has a background in economics. And he has a book called Please Stop Helping Us, How Liberals Have Ruined Black America. And he's writing similar things that a lot of other black economists in the U.S., like Walter Williams and Thomas Sowell, have been writing for decades. That they go, look, we've had decades of these programs. We've had, uh, you get these, you know, you get John Tory saying all we need is another after school pro let's build the kids a basketball court that's gonna you know keep them busy and at a certain point you know i I know this is an argument that's been around for for years as well but this is the racism of lesser expectations and we keep doing this and we think that's it whereas you've got a whole bunch of leaders in the united states black gentlemen who say no this is about great expectations and we haven't had that conversation in canada and 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 i'm not the guy to lead that conversation john because the the leaders i'm citing in this are are you know black economists and so forth they're the ones who can who are leading that i'd like to see that leadership step up here in canada but when you look at the studies that have been done in ontario from the early 90s from the 2000s they look at what happens to young people in this society who are given the very strong message they don't have a place they don't have a future they do turn to violence i have to say when i was a city councillor in in what is South Riverdale now. Um, We had a problem with a lot of vandalism around schools, and we were able to put together a program with the local police opening the gyms and schools at night for basketball. Had a huge impact on vandalism in the community. Now, vandalism is not shooting, but when you have an opportunity there for young people to develop skills and have opportunities to have recreation that's really positive, you do reduce petty crime and you do actually improve that society. We need that kind of investment. Well, you mentioned that and uh, it was just earlier this week where uh, the mayor did say we're going to up the investment. He actually used that term. Uh, There's like $180 million annually spent on these programs. Now he's added another $6 million in the aftermath of the B&B shooting, the Airbnb shooting uh, here, uh, suggesting that, you know, these These kinds of programs are going to deter this violent crime. You believe that? They will help. I think you need more than those programs. Well, who's auditing these programs, by the way, for any kind of practical results? Are we getting any, you know, return on investment? That's a really good question, and I think they should be looked at. We should be looking at 
What's the impact of policing? Is it actually reducing crime? What's the impact of jailing? Is it actually reducing crime? Well, what's what your the... gut tell you? If you had 500 more cops out on the street, you know, patrolling these neighborhoods, do you think that might be a deterrent? Not always. I, I used to manage a housing co-op at River and Girard, uh, right by Regent Park in the 1980s. We had cop patrols all the time. At the same time, the local variety store kept, kept getting robbed. Uh, unless you have the cops standing right there on the corner, it's not going to prevent anything. You have to deal with things in a more profound way. That's that's the reality on the ground. What, what is that profound way very quickly, Anthony? Hey, there's an interesting correlation. More funding for programs the past few years, oops, more crime and so forth. So I don't know. It's interesting, these things that trend in the same direction. I think we're looking at more of a values-based issue, a family issue, a community issue. Rather, oh, you know, Here's here's the funny. I take Peter's point though that depending on what the policing is, it may not be the most efficacious one. Yeah, so I, I, I think we're looking at quality over quantity here. Well, I would agree. Uh, you know, it's uh, almost trite to say, but the best social program is a tight knit family and a job. Yeah, uh, and and if people get supports for that, then. That works. Well, okay. The supports for keeping families intact, that's almost ironic, coming from somebody on the progressive left, because everything that, you know, the progressive left has stood for has kind of uh, led to the dissolution of the family. No, not a bit. I I think the past past decade or two, we've been encouraging people to think that anytime they're asked to, to tie up their shoelaces, it's a charter rights violation. The police can't talk to you under any circumstances. How dare they? Your teacher can't talk back to you, but you damn well can talk back to your teacher. I think there's a whole uh, lot of this stuff going on. I mean, I'm, I find I'm just in my 30s. The stuff that, you know, kids like swear at me on the street, not because they've read my columns. They don't know who I am. They're just randomly <laughs> swearing me in the street. Stuff but if that, they read them. If they would, I'd, I'd, I'd legitimately allow them to swear at me. But, you know, things that me, you know, 12 years old, like the stuff I would never think of behaving in this manner, you know, this conduct and what happened, what came unspooled. Yeah. Uh, something unraveling in the social fabric. By the way, Anthony, you've just written a recent piece about how uh, it took a while, but Canada's now showing coronavirus caution. What do you mean? Well, I was tough on the government, and look, we had public health officials saying, trust the system, the system works, we know what we're doing, and then we would hear public health officials and infectious disease experts in other countries say, actually, there's a whole bunch of unknown variables, we don't really know what the hell's going on with this thing. We're still not so sure how bad this will be, but we've watched and we've had a couple weeks where things did not spread unmasked, because that first day... Uh, when we learned that there was a fellow who had it, he was up at Sunnybrook Hospital. The next day, I go into Costco up at Leaside Thorncliffe Park area. And, John, I tell you, there's about 30 people with masks uh, up at that Costco. And that's a lot of people in one store. There's always a lot of people in a Costco at any given time. But still, 30 people with masks is a lot. Then I get on the TTC that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, head over to the Post Building. People on mat like five or six on each subway car. Oh, man, like there is panic. There's frustration. I was in a Rexall and a guy runs in and he goes, do you guys do you guys have any masks? Where are the masks? And he goes, sir, we don't have any masks here. Calm down. I thought, what is going on? There was a real concern that this was a thing, John, that was going to erupt like wildfire because they didn't know. And then we heard that on Netflix outbreak and whatever those movies are called they were getting a lot of play those 90s movies and so forth now this guy's been discharged from hospital and he's doing okay which is great I mean if he had rather tragically died suddenly we go what are we dealing with here we've done the airport lockdown it seems to have contained it and so forth things are in a little bit better of a situation right now and I haven't been back to that Costco because nobody needs to bulk buy you know (laughs) every 10 days but I've been on the TTC and I saw no masks this week. Mm. So a bit of a calm is setting in. People were very precautious and worried, and I don't blame them. Now, things are faring a little better. All right. 
By the way, Peter, you're not going to ascribe this uh, recent outbreak to the climate crisis, are you? No, John. Okay, just don't <laughs> joke. There was an article in, I think it was the CBC, where they said the climate crisis exacerbates this sort of stuff. So the takeaway to this, John, is we need to double the carbon tax. Okay. <laughs> All right. I thought maybe Tabins would take the bait, but you didn't. On this uh, matter of the Airbnb shootings the other night, now Airbnb came out with a statement yesterday and a new policy. It's a pilot project, but they say there's going to be a, a hotline that uh, anybody nah. can... You don't like the idea? No, I don't. I don't think it's a bad idea to have a hotline at all. Do you think it'll actually uh, be uh, something that will act as a deterrent to people misbehaving in these parties? They rent these places, and you know, all hell can break loose, as we've seen. No, I don't think it will. But it may mean that people who are seeing the problem have someone to call. I, I would think if you're seeing all hell break loose, you'd call 911. I don't know if I'd spend time on an Airbnb hotline. Well, I that's might... the question. I mean, how how effective or impactful will this be? So they call I have no somebody. idea. They call somebody at a call center. Maybe yeah. they get put on hold. Yeah, for a long time. Right. Yeah. Who knows? And, and we won't know really until it's rolled out. And frankly, again, if it's serious enough, you should be calling the police, not calling a complaint hotline. If it's just simply noisy, well, I'd call the police anyway for a loud party that's breaking law. But I, I think the, there's a really big issue here with these effectively unsupervised hotels uh, that are operating. That's... That, I think, is a big issue that needs to be addressed. Well, the Hoteliers Association wants to see a tax placed on the Airbnb and the short-term rentals to the tune of $100 million in aggregate, because that's a, what they say they're losing, and it would be a real boon to you know the coffers, provincially, municipally, however, so you would support that tax. Well, I think anyone who's operating an unlicensed hotel who's not paying taxes is taking money out of all of our pockets. It's they're, they're finding a way around the income tax system if they're running an unlicensed hotel. So I think they should be paying taxes. Anthony, can you believe it? This hotline, you know, there's this the walls are shaking, the base is blaring. You call, you, they say, what's going on? Oh, we, we, we there's noise. We can't sleep. We'll put you on hold for an hour and you can listen to Enya. And hopefully that'll kind of overrule the music here. I, like cut out the middle, man. Peter's right. You either just call the cops directly. But these days you call the cops with a noise disturbance. And depending on, you know, what's going on with their triage, good luck getting them out there. So what you're calling Airbnb, they're going to call the cops. Is just going to take longer. We got people showing up with guns at these places. It's not just the noise. It's the fact, like we were talking about before, someone's saying, I'm going to a party with a firearm. That's the problem. It doesn't matter. What are the rules? 25-year-old cannot rent an unhosted property unless they've previously been vetted. Like, what is this? I mean, this doesn't change anything. This is people making odd choices. I don't support that tax at all, though, because you spelled it pretty right, John. The hotel industry's seeing disruption, and they're peeved because people aren't going to hotels anymore, so they want to try and claw back the money without even providing the service. They just want to take 10 bucks from everyone's Airbnb, bring it back to their market. I feel for them. I'm not really an Airbnb guy. I've done it once or twice, but I'm still a tr- traditional hotel guy, so they're going to love me for that, but not everybody likes that. People talk big game about disruption, but now they say, oh, I don't like all the Uber vehicles. I don't. The cat's out of the bag. All, all industries are trending in this direction, and you got to bring in policies that facilitate it, not that kind of try and put it back in. Yeah, but I think there there are two things you're talking about here. There's a situation where someone is going to be going on holiday for a few weeks, connects with Airbnb and says, while I'm away, I'm happy to rent my house or my apartment. I don't think most people have any problem with that. That's been going on for a long time. But if you've got a situation where someone has 10 or 15 or 20 rental properties, effectively operating a commercial hotel operation and not paying taxes, then you and me and John, all of us are paying more on our taxes because they're getting away with 
dodging the tax on that income. I don't think that's, that's a, fair. That's any sort of self-declared uh, income thing, though. Well, if... I mean, that's a CRA issue. That's, you, not a, that's not a bring in a new sort of administrative body issue, I think. Well, then have the CRA administer it. In this I'm case, okay where you've got effectively an unlicensed hotel with the kinds of problems that we've been seeing, we need the supervision. And frankly, they should be paying their fair share of taxes so the rest of us don't get dinged. Hey, right there. Ding, we ding. Got dinged. Uh, we're done. I appreciate you both coming in. As per usual, Anthony Fury, Sun Papers National Columnist, Peter Tavins, MPP Toronto Danforth, and the NDP's critic for energy and a climate crisis. Thank you both. Thanks, All the Sean. best. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on demand audio. 